All right, what is going on? Welcome to Canel and Bell. It is everybody's back. Yeah, we're back in the building. It's been a minute, man. It's been Fresh. like 10, 11 days since yeah. we've done the show together. So I'm pumped up to get you back here. Tommy Tran, thanks to him for helping us no out while we were gone. Uh, Will Middlebrooks, everybody. There's too many guys to name that really helped us while I was on vacation. You took a few days off. You were running around basketball tournaments and doing everything. But I have a confession to make. Yep. Yesterday I got back, worked with Tommy, mm-hmm. and I thought I sucked. Like I just I I was stuttering words. Yeah, like I was rusty. You were coming off a little hangover. From I was, yeah, I only had about four hours sleep the night oh, before. Right, like, right, right, I got right. back late, and then the jet lag scenario had me up early, and I couldn't sleep. So I was just dragging yesterday. But today, yeah, like, I saw you walk through those doors, and I was like, all right, we are fresh and ready to attack this thing. How did you do on uh, like? It, it, what's your body feeling like after the vacation? I know you get oh. a little fried mentally, but what'd you do? Like the last time you were here, we were both trying to like, yeah, figure it, out the diet situation, get the body right. What'd you do on vacay? Oh, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good because you know, <laughs> we were in Rome right. and you know how the saying goes, when in Rome. <laughs> so we got, that was anytime they offered you anything to eat. Yeah. You took them up on it. Typically over here, you might be, well, I'm going to pass on dessert. Well, I'm going to pass on the second or third or fourth glass of wine. But when you're there, you're like, when in Rome, just let it roll. <laughs> and then it didn't matter once we left Rome. It was like, well, when in Rome or right. in Sorrento or wherever we were, we just kept rolling with it. But here's the shocking thing. Yeah. This was actually a shocking revelation to me. So yesterday, you know about Phil Mickelson's cleanse, right? Sure. So he lost 16 pounds. All he did was drink like water and coffee. Six days. Six days, was it? Yeah. So I'm, I was. I can't do that. So That's I started it yesterday. Yeah. But it was also my daughter's seventh birthday. Oh, so you had cake. So here's the thing. At like 2 in the afternoon, I had only had water and coffee to that point. And I was like, you know what? I haven't even gotten a scale yet. And I feel like garbage. Like I feel like bleh. Right. Just kind of like out of shape. I just felt awful. I'm like, I must weigh 300 pounds right now. So I actually went on the scale and I was actually two pounds lighter than when I left. So I was like, hey, the party's on today. So I didn't I didn't put on that much weight. It must have been because we really did. We trekked around a lot. When you're on like when you're in these cities, like you'd eat a lot, but you'd also go around and explore and we walked all over. Uh, you know, whether it was Rome or Paris, wherever, we were just active. So it was good. Like I guess we were able to do all that. Um, but I didn't tell yesterday, I didn't tell you about my health scare. No. I had a very serious situation that unfolded. So we go to Positano. Mm-hmm. I love saying all these words. It makes it sound like I'm right, so first like, of all, rolling. You on Instagram, you're so annoying. <laughs> like Roma. Really We're in Roma. I'm like, did you see what my, I was like, bro, it's not Roma. It's oh, just yeah. Rome. I saw like, it. My wife was like, why is he saying that? I'm like, cause he's being a smart aleck. That's why he's doing that. So we were there, Positano. Yeah. And, uh, we go to the beach. Uh huh. And so on our tour, there were two tour buses, and they were smallish, but we had two tour buses, and the tour guide ran in the front one. Okay. My family and another family were in the back one. So we were riding there, and usually the tour guide would kind of give you a little explanation of what you're going to see and stuff. So we knew we were going to the beach. We're like, hey, we're just going to go to the beach. The water was pretty cold, but we were swimming, and it was totally different than a beach here. Like very like pebbles and rocky, kind of like a a Connecticut or New England-type beach, but it didn't stop us. We were swimming. Right. So my daughter brought her goggles and like, I was like, I wonder what it looks like underneath. I'm used to Florida reefs. Like I wanted to see what it was like down below. So I go like out exploring. I'm like, I'm a beach. I grew up on the beach. I'm going to go a little bit deeper than anybody else. Yeah. Good for you. So go, I go out there. I'm going down. I'm looking. I'm first of all, there's nothing to see down there. There were some fish though, which was kind of freaking me out. Right. So I go down and like, I do like a duck dive where you kind of go up and then you put your head down. So you go down faster. Right. Right. So I go up, take the deep breath and go down. And like, as soon as I hit the water, all of a sudden, I have like this 
acid burn like on my forehead. Oh, like I feel this burning sensation. You hit a jellyfish, bro? Right smack dab in the face. Like it was in the face. <coughs> in my face. And it burned. It, I'm telling you, I, I had been stung by a jellyfish when I was little. Yeah. This was a whole nother kind of jellyfish. Oh, All I kept thinking was, thank goodness it didn't happen to my daughters because they would have been screaming. Yeah. So I get out and I was like, I was like, I thought for, for real, I thought it was like an acid that was in the water. And then I figured out, I'm like, oh, it was jellyfish. And some of the other people were like, well, yeah, the tour guide told you to look out for the jellyfish, but we were on the wrong bus. So we didn't even get to, I didn't even know there were jellyfish in the water. I do that. That's fantastic. Sucker got oh, me right I knew there. you were going to be like Chevy Chase European vacation. Oh, I, I, I didn't know where it was going to show up. I am Clark yeah. Griswold. Yeah. It was, it was all over the trip for sure, but it was a good time. Uh, but it's good to be back. Uh, speaking of back to America. Yeah. Uh, your boy Giannis Antetokounmpo, well you like yeah. that segue? Uh, has released a new coming to they America. They are fire. Shoot. I mean, I haven't seen the coming to America, but the the, the freak yeah. uh, is a phenomenal Ooh. shoot. So hey. is this? Oh yeah. So you see the little you got the little African vibe, like yeah, you leopard got... skin, like from the movie, right? When uh, what was it? What was it? King Joffrey? King Joffrey Joffrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, was it Joffrey Joffrey. Yeah, it was. I think it was so. Was right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And he has those are kind of tight. Those are dope. I think I like those. those I don't know if I like the huge coming to Europe, uh, coming to America on the tongue. See where you can read that? Yeah, absolutely. Looks like there's a fur on the tongue also. Like it looks like it's a, a furrier tongue. I think oh. if I would have, instead of put coming to America in word, I would just have had more of the print. That black, the that black, the little cheetah print, print with the gold swoosh, it, it's a hot shoe. Generally speaking though, there's an orange version that I cop, like, the first yeah, yeah, you were there out. in the line. Uh, and then South there's Beach. a black and white that came out, uh, like a couple days ago. The shoe itself is a, is a really nice shoe. Low profile. It, yeah, it looks light. Like you can light. wear them a jeans, you can yeah. pick it. Uh, well, well done. And your boys like them too? Yeah, they really do. All right. So everybody, oh, no, everybody in the belt family was like signed on them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now you're going to have to find the yeah. coming to America <laughs> ones too. So good job by Giannis. Uh, I'm going to have to cop a pair of those too. Uh, later in today's show, I don't know, are we doing sneaker showdown? Are we doing it or not? Nah? Today's Wednesday? No, it's not. Nah, <laughs> All right, we're back from vacation. vacation bro. That was our sneaker preview right, <laughs> right there. That will take place of the, uh, sneaker showdown or shoe showdown. We'll have to get to more of that at some other point. Um, speaking of guys reporting to different places, um, I don't know if that was a segue at all. Well. I just totally not, was made not that one well up. Done as I don't know if there was yeah. anywhere, anybody we went there, but Kyler Murray, uh, the first overall draft pick by the Arizona Cardinals is expected to report with the other rookies in camp today, which is kind of crazy. I didn't even realize this. I'm like, I thought they had another week or 10 days, but camps are starting and people are moving in full force. So he's there. Their first practice is July 21st, uh, 25th, the first preseason game, August 8th. But this is a massive, this is one of the most, like the riskiest, most aggressive pairings that we've seen maybe in the last 15 years. Like I'm trying to think back when other times like a team just took this much of a risk by hiring a guy with zero NFL experience in Cliff Kingsbury by drafting a guy number one overall who, you know, is a, is a new style, new era type of quarterback where how is his health going to translate? Is he going to be able to stay healthy? Is his style of play going to translate all these type things? If there was one team that you had me look at and be like, I am most intrigued. It's a really tough battle between the Browns and the Cardinals the Browns for a different reason, because I think they're a legit playoff contender. Yep. The Cardinals are not a playoff contender, but just from a sheer, I want to see how this thing looks. I want to see what happens with Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to my uh, two boys yesterday. We were coming back from from Austin, Texas, and they were talking uh, about their favorite teams to watch this year. One of them was the Kansas City Chiefs because he loves Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And then the other one was Arizona Cardinals cause of, uh, because of Kyler Murray. And then mine was the Browns, right? And so, yep. you know, those two stories and the you talk, you said there hasn't been a team in a while to take a swing like this. 
The Browns kind of did it last year, although yeah, it wasn't a, a first-time head coach coming out of college ranks. But in terms of the first pick, the guy kind of coming out of nowhere, you know, um, and, and taking a risk on a smaller stature quarterback that played in a wide-open system. Um, you know, I think the, the Browns did it last year. And Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, I felt from the beginning, if you were going to hire Cliff Kingsbury, uh, the success wasn't off the charts at, at Texas Tech, but – Stylistically, you've identified that's what you want to do as a franchise. You want to be exciting. You want to play fast. You want to have it wide open. The only thing that you could do in this year's draft um, was go out, trade Josh Rosen, and figure out how to get Kyler Murray to pair with him. I just thought that made sense. If you were going to take a swing at it, swing for the fences, right? Like, don't half-ass it. And so, you know, I think they did the right thing. They've done everything right up until now. And now the question becomes, does this style translate right and does yep. Kyler translate and can you get a bunch of old dogs to kind of learn new tricks at the NFL level which is essentially what Cliff Kingsbury is going to try to do with the tempo and teaching guys to play fast and all of that so Cliff Kingsbury is only 39 I have more concerns probably about Cliff Kingsbury than I do about Kyler Murray right like I've seen Kyler Murray play we saw Baker Mayfield translate to the NFL I haven't seen that with Cliff Kingsbury he does he hasn't had the success in college which yeah, does it matter? Probably not. If he's an offensive guru and he's got there and he's got a good, solid defensive coordinator, they can handle the defensive side of the ball. But here's something that scares me. When I hear a quote from Larry Fitzgerald, you talk about old dogs and learning mm-hmm. new tricks. Like He is a veteran player who's been around the NFL a long time. He spoke to the MMQB, and here was his quote. It's not so much what he's installing that stands out. It's how it's run, the tempo of it every single day with more experience. We're able to go faster, 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 run more plays more efficiently. The faster guys understand the concepts, the more pressure we can put on defenses. And he continues, the language is simpler, but you have to process it faster. In the system, you're on the ball and you have an abundance of time to understand what's going on. You have to decipher and be able to play fast. If you had anybody describe Chip Kelly, his first season with the Philadelphia Eagles, they would that would almost be verbatim what they said about Chip Kelly when he went to the NFL for the first time around. And it worked awesome for a couple years. Right. And then it fell really fast, and maybe it was because he was trying to do much evaluating personnel. Yeah. Uh, I still argue that, you know what, his offense did work. But that's the one thing is that some people thought Chip Kelly's philosophies, the up-tempo, simple language, terminology, go as fast, as fast as you can, didn't translate in the NFL because – it's just defensive coordinators have more time to prep for it. They're studying more. NFL defenses are able to adapt toward it. You know, it's not so shocking and abrasive. But I maybe it's maybe it's something we haven't seen before with this air raid where if they do take advantage of it, you might have some success early. Yeah. I think would go a long way for Cliff and for Kyler Murray. Well, this might not be a fair analogy, but I'll use like Paul Westfall, um, who ran a wide open offense like early, I don't know, that was eighties and stuff like that. It didn't win championships. But there was a like loose blueprint out there for playing really fast. And then Mike D'Antoni came along on the Suns teams I played on. And we didn't win championships either. But I think we took it to the, to the next step uh, or the next level of success. We were Western Conference champs and stuff like that. And then Steve Kerr came in with, with relatively no experience and took over the Golden State Warriors. And they won championships kind of playing the way we did. Wide open, fast. Now the whole league does it. Um, I tend to think that offenses are a step ahead of defenses usually. Mm-hmm. And I'm not in the camp of like... NFL defenses will figure it out and they'll lock it down. Uh, it'll take them some time um, and, and they'll get a beat on it. But if you continue to evolve as an offense and you play fast, uh, I, I think it can have success at the NFL level. It's just going to take someone getting over the hump doing it. And so I really felt like Chip Kelly, it was good for a minute, but then Chip took on too much. It was kind of like Doc Rivers yes. and those guys. Like you're trying to do too many things. You've lost 
like focus to some degree on what you really need to do, which is cultivate that offense and keep it evolving. If Cliff Kingsbury can do that, um, I, I don't know why it can't work. Now, there, there's talent issues, right? And they yep. need better O-line, and there's stuff like that that has to be in place. But stylistically, I think if you had the right combination of players, I think it could work. Hold on a second. I got to I got to ask Coco a question about this graphic. 2019 projected stats for Kyler Murray. How in the heck do you project Kyler Murray's stats? I'm just curious. Like, do we where do we get that from? Do you know Coco? Sportsline, maybe. Right. So what? So one of the people because I I'm not, so I, I know that's what we simulated. do. Right, right, right. But I'm just I, I'm fascinated by that of process. What data? Like right, what, right. What, 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 well, obviously, I'm, maybe they look at Baker Mayfield. The success yeah. he had at Oklahoma's offense, and but I just that's a funny kind of don't graphic get me started to me. on some of the <laughs> it's very some of the, right some there. of the projections for next year. Look, when you were gone, full disclosure, yeah, like I slammed the guys in the other room. There, there were projections about like win win totals, right? Stuff like that with Russ versus without Russ. Like I just none of it bothers me too. And I think there is a dynamic there between players in any sport and analytics nerds. Because players are always like, how do you guys know what you're talking about? I do think there is some value. Right. But I'm with you. I can't stand when they say, oh, this player is going to be better than that player, you know, because these, you know, simulators say yeah. he's going to play like this. I, I just never. We have no idea how Kyler Murray's going to play. We have no idea. Right. Um, but watch him throw exactly those numbers. <laughs> One of the things that gives me a little bit of a better feel for Cliff Kingsbury or more confidence in him is that the staff that he's assembled, when you look at the coordinators, so Jeff Rogers and Tom Clements are two of his co-offensive, uh, excuse me, Tom Clements is his offensive coordinator, okay. 21 years of experience. The special teams coordinator is Jeff Rogers, got 16 uh, years of experience. And Vance Joseph, the defense coordinator, uh, 15 years and some as a head coach too. Yeah. So he's got a lot, a wealth of experience of NFL guys that he can lean on that and helps. kind of look, all right, how do I make some of these adjustments? How do I coach these guys? Cause well, it's a different animal. That's the big one, right? Like, I, and NBA guys that don't work when they come from college are are guys that don't have a feel or haven't surrounded themselves with guys who have a feel of how to coach grown men because it's different when you're when you're barking orders at a young freshman uh, who really has no you know a, a ability to leave the school right now and stuff like that. There's a different way that, that you get that message across when you're dealing with professionals that make millions and millions of dollars and they all got families and they're all, you know, they're in their mid thirties. Like that's a different animal to figure out how to coach and motivate. And if you don't have experience with it, um, it's really tough waters to navigate. And that's what happens to college basketball coaches coming to the NBA. Usually my way or the highway and guys in NBA locker rooms are like, bro, no, get the hell out of here. So having an experienced staff, though, they can speak that language and they're used to dealing with adults is really important. Uh, we had a special team. So my second year in the league, so my rookie year, I had Dan Reeves as a head coach. He had a very veteran staff. And right. the second year, he got fired. Then we hired Jim Fossil and he had a whole new staff. Like a lot of guys, some younger coaches, some of them were older, but they just didn't have very, very, very much experience in the NFL. So we had a special teams coordinator. I don't want to say his name. I don't want to throw him totally under the right. bus, but he had, College experience. Yeah. So he comes in there, and I never forget. Like, first of all, he wanted the whole team at the special teams meeting, yeah, which, as like, a quarterback, I was like, "Hold on a second. Like, that was the first problem I had with it. But then he, he kind of evolved, and he said, "All right, you don't have to be there after that." But like for his first few meetings, and he was really gung ho, like yeah. high energy. He wanted us all to clap, like at different times, like to start the meeting and be like, "All right, st." Like, and you had to do the uh, stupid thing, like to break the meeting down. It was right. very rah rah, like cheerleaderish. Sure. And. If you could have seen the looks on dudes' faces when he had them do like this coordinated cheer the first time, everybody in the room was like, bro, we're out. Just give us the plays. We'll get it done. Right, right. This stuff isn't going to work with us. It's just, it is such a different dynamic with how to drive guys that are making millions of dollars and it's, they're not college athletes. Yeah. You know, it's just totally a, a different scenario there, right? 
All right, welcome back to Canelo Bell. Danny Canelo hanging out with Rajah Bell. So media days are in full swing. I'm a little worried about college football. I might have to do this as an expanded topic. Uh huh. Just seems like they've been pretty quiet. Um, there's not a lot of buzz. There's no real like. There's some. There's two really good players in Tua Tagovailoa and Trevor Lawrence. But like I don't know. There's just. It's almost like Clemson and Bama have separated so much. Yeah. I just worry that we all know it's going to happen and it's going to take away from the regular season. And it's already kind of. It just feels like some of these media days are a little slow, a little sleepy, kind of a snooze fest. Yeah. But there have been some. There has been some news that has been made. So Greg Burks, the uh, officials. Uh, head of officials for the Big 12 was speaking at Big 12 Media Days, and he was talking about the horns down symbol. What the, mm-hmm. Texas has horns up, right? Yeah, like, look yeah. them horns. Yep. And you better be careful doing that. It's offensive. That's, um, <laughs> I was just in Austin. T- I've earned the right. No, that's right. Well, no, yeah, you, they'll be wow. they'll be even more mad. No horns up. Yes, that's true. Yeah. What I horns. just do horns down. Yeah. Don't don't stop doing it. You're going to get us in trouble. <laughs> uh, so he talked about the way they're going to handle it when opponents do the horns down. Here's what he said. Like any play, there's a degree who it's directed at. If they do it in their bench area, we're not going to look at it. It'd be like any other celebration foul. So it has to be like almost every other foul we have. Does it rise to a level that we need to deal with that? It's a hot topic. Um, I know people want us to be very definitive on that, but it's like almost any touchdown celebration. Uh, Is it directed at an opponent? Or is it just celebration with your teammates? It's it's not like almost any other touchdown celebration. It is any other touchdown. So there's there should be no separation between taunting in general and a horns taunting. You are you like, forgive me, Austin. We had a very good time, but who the hell do you think you are that someone throwing your horns down should be taken any more seriously than any other taunting penalty? It's ridiculous. It is the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard. And it, and the Big 12 is creating this mess on their hands by giving it special treatment. Correct. Like, are you going to go around to every university? So TCU has like the frogs. They make like a little piece yeah, of Yeah, we can't, we can't do that. Right, right. You can't turn that over. You. Or what if you do? Yeah. What if then somebody did the U upside down or you chopped at somebody? Yeah. Just tell them we're trying to crack down on celebrations, which by the way, I think is dumb too. Uh, the, they should have taken a lead from the NFL and said, you know what? College football is known for passionate fans, intense rivalries. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, it's hatred, but we want to encourage all those things that make college football great. Correct. So we're going to look the other way on some of these things. Instead, they're going the other direction, which is sort of putting us back 20 years. And I'm, I'm old school myself. You know, yeah. we talk about bat flips a lot. I don't like guys going up and trying to, you know, incite the fans and do other things. But if you're going to have this special rule, just for Texas, you were sending completely the wrong message. But I think what we're under- underestimating is the power that Texas has with their own network, with some of the deepest pockets in the Big 12, with one of the biggest brands in the Big 12. But here's the thing. Just because they have all that doesn't mean you have to cater to them. Correct. I'm going to give you an example of how bad it is. 2012, Jesse Palmer uh-huh. was an analyst mm-hmm. for ESPN. He was doing a game, uh, a Texas game. And they came to a shot of him and his other analyst in the booth. I think it was David Pollock and somebody else. And they were talking about the game. And they were talking about Hook'em Horns. Yeah. And then they were talking about Horns Down. And Jesse kind of like just jokingly, like you just did a minute ago, yeah. was like, yeah, the Horns Down, you don't want to do that. Yeah. Kind of goes away. It was in like the first quarter. Yep. Two quarters later, like so after halftime. Yeah. And if, I've been in some of these situations. If there's anything controversial that happens – People know how to, who to get in touch with. Yep. Call down to the booth and your your producer gets in your ear. He's like, hey, we have a problem on our hands. Yeah. 
in two quarters later in the same game, Jesse Palmer came on and apologized. Even though he wasn't saying like, hey, screw you, Texas, yes. or whatever you took it to mean. Yes. He's like, I didn't mean any offense by putting the horns down. Oh, I have never seen Coca. anything like this unfold I, in my I life. I wish you would tell me in 10 minutes to, <laughs> to apologize for throwing them horns down. Look, it, Coca's, I, it's, it's personal to Coca because a lot of this conversation has come about because of the game was West Virginia. When West Virginia players did it, David Sills scored a touchdown, goes up, and it was, I'm telling you, he ran over to the stands, went like this, and went like that, and then ran away. It was, Two seconds of horns down. Correct. And yet that's why we're having this, this discussion. It's absurd to me that Texas is getting this type of preferential treatment. Yeah. I, look again, this falls under the category of taunting. If, if, right. if you say we are going to clean up taunting in its entirety and we don't want you, um, in opponents' faces after you score touchdowns and this is going to be the penalty, you know, if we deem it excessive and, and, and taunting, I, I am fine with that. Like I will sign off on that, but anything specific, to horns down versus any other derogatory um um signed to another school like I don't I don't believe that they should be in a class by themselves and if you don't want to be held hostage by the school that has the biggest pockets and right. its own network and so on and so forth do not give them preferential treatment or cater to every request that they may have otherwise you are empowering them to hold you hostage so look we're treating horns down just like we treat the the seminal chomp, you know, when right. they give it sometimes with the middle finger out, right? Yep. That's derogatory. It will be treated as such. It falls under that category of all derogatory taunts. Other than that, go away. Here's the other thing that I can't stand about it. So that game, West Virginia was in Austin. Yeah. You know, they're on the road playing in front of a hostile environment. You think those fans were oh, being yeah. nice and not taunting for the first three quarters of that game? Right. No, they're selling, they're yelling obscenities. They're telling you to go back to wherever. They're saying you suck, all those types of things. And you, are you going to tell the fans to hold them to the same standard? You can say, They're hey, not. you have to be kind and quiet because we don't want to have taunting in our game and our sport. No, let them live a little bit and embrace some of the things that make college football great. I, college football from is my favorite sport to watch. Mine too. I, I, I love college football. Um, I, the days of Lamar, uh, Lamar Thomas ripping yeah. his helmet off going into the end zone and like the canes celebrating, like though, obviously I'm a homer with the canes, but I enjoyed that. Like I agree with you in that. College football should lighten up a little bit. Just, just, I mean, right. What, like trying to police everything. I tell my wife this, right? We got four kids. There's a lot of chaos in the house, right? And to her credit, she deals with a lot more than I do because she's there more. But you're stressing yourself out trying to police every little thing that happens in the house, right? So I'm yep. like, sin, you got to let some of that stuff work itself out and just let it play out. And a lot of times it will just work out, right? right. They're not going to take it as serious. But when you make a big deal out of it and try to police it all, number one, you're stressed out. Right. Number two, they're aware of the situation and it just blows out of proportion. So I, Santa College football, dog, like, let it ride for a little bit. Like, don't try to fight every single battle and police it and make it all perfect. Let's just see what happens with it. Yeah, it's they're making, and you know what's going to happen now. Other schools probably make T-shirts with hands down, if it's they already have, and they're just going to continue to correct, them while they're out correct. there. I think the, I think the Big Twelve completely missed the boat on this one by blowing this out of proportion. All right, welcome back to Canell and Bell, Danny Canell, Rajah Bell, doing a little um, discussion on what potentially could be the future of politics. And I think it's a really fascinating discussion. We don't do a lot of politics on here, yep. but our next guest I think has an idea that could change the landscape as far as people getting their information on some of the candidates that are out there. But before we get to any political discussion, uh, let's say uh, what's up to our guest here, Walt Powell. How's it going, man? How are you doing today? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I am fantastic. Before we get to the app that you invented, I had just a couple of football questions because we were just talking earlier in the show about, and it's hard to believe it's already here with training camps, guys uh, reporting to camp uh, today and tomorrow 
Um, what was it like for you going into training camp uh, with your time in the NFL? Were you one of the guys – like I dreaded training camp because it was going to be such a grind. I was always kind of on the bubble. It was going to be so stressful uh, that I was – the night before camp, I was dreading going to work because I knew what a grind it was going to be. What was it like for you going to, into NFL training camp? I mean, for me, I was always, you know, excited just because it's always just funny moments, great times in training camp. But I was just always, uh, just like you, a guy on the bubble and just looking to prove myself and just show show my show the teams that I was on, you know, that I was a playmaker. So I was just always excited to compete and just, uh, you know, uh, amazing. Well, do you, do you have a a favorite training camp story? I, w- I was a guy like that too, where I had to come into training camp and show and prove and, and try to earn a spot. Um, because of that, I had some pretty funny stories, some pretty cool ones. Do you have a favorite uh, story from training camp? I feel like my favorite story or just memories when I started reading the book, uh, The Power of Positive Thinking by uh, Norman Vincent Peale. And um, this was like midway through training camp. And like I just literally shifted like my thinking and just really visualizing me making plays, you know, whether it's, you know, in the preseason games or whether it was, you know, doing one-on-ones or doing, you know, team periods. And I would, like, visualize myself, like, making plays before the day started or right before I did a play, I mean, made a play. And it was just crazy, like, when you shift your energy up, like, just I just started just making plays just out of nowhere. And not out of nowhere, I was, you know, I was a good athlete, but I just started making just ridiculous catches. And I just really just started making just uh, plays left and right. And that ended up, that period ended up help, helping me secure a spot on the three-man roster for the Bills that season. Um, that's so, awesome. That uh, that is a pretty cool story, man. The power of positivity. I try to teach my boys about that <laughs> all the time. It's so hard visualizing <laughs> it and all that. Um, let me ask you a follow up. When did you start preparing for life after football? A, a lot of guys have uh, they're late to the game, so to speak, in that regard, right? And they don't really know what they're going to get into. You seem like you had it figured out. It kind of um, well. One thing that kind of helped me when I first got in the league was my older brother. He played in the league for. Uh, three, four years, he he always told me, you know, network, no matter what. Whenever you get an opportunity to go to events and meet people that's not necessarily in your sport or just in your just uh, area, like, go network. And you never know who, who you may need down the line. And, you know, for me, I always, you know, I networked as far as going to being at tech events, being at um, uh, industry events. Just I mean, I just was at all types of events. So I had a pretty diverse Rolodex of people, but just being able to um, just network with people and uh, be able to um, just go back and recall those uh, opportunities from there. That's fantastic. I, mean, I, I wish I had done anything aside from play a lot of golf, you know, hang out, travel a little bit. Uh, you know, like that was kind of the, the the extent of my off season when I was doing it. I wish I had done more. Later sure. in my career, I did some stuff, some postgraduate work. But it, earlier in my career, I was not mature enough. So I'm really impressed with guys like Walt who can do that. So you've co-founded Politoscope. Can you explain uh, to us sort of a general synopsis of what the app brings to uh, the people who will apply for it? So I was, uh, with Politoscope, I created a player profile app for politicians where it breaks down and explains every bill a politician votes for or against in a layman's term, really making it that one-stop shop for all politics, whether it's registering a vote, whether it's calling your politician off the app, whether it's uh, following on all the social media, just everything you need, and also, you know, just uh, showing, showcasing objective information based off facts and not, you know, partisan, you know, um, 
partisan information. So just really just making it that one-stop shop. And uh, we're launching our donation button, uh, our campaign donation button in August. So it's literally everything you need to be informed and be engaged and just have this, uh, a little more information about politics. Because you already know how just um, unpopular politics is, especially in this day and age. But uh, people are starting to become more politically uh, politically curious and just really just giving somebody a starting point with Politiscope to really uh, just be educated and in the simplest way. How is it being received so far, the idea? I mean, everybody, I mean, everybody loves it. Everybody who I show, no matter if it's a politician or if it's somebody who's not interested in politics at all, everybody seems to love it just because the simplicity of it, how easy it is to navigate through it, and just in a matter of three to four clicks, you uh, you just you gain knowledge. And that's, and, and that's one thing we all looking for, like, especially when we got to, when we got to do with politics. Because when you get on Google, everything is all convoluted and it's all, all, all over the place. But with Politiscope, we consolidate it all into one platform where you can just get it and go and have informed discussions about anything that's going on. Awesome, man. We appreciate your time and uh, good luck with Politiscope. And don't forget about us little people when you blow up and become a, you know, Internet billionaire, a mogul. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Walt Powell uh, talking about Politiscope, his app uh, to help you. I think it's a great idea because I know for me, and I I don't like talking politics because it is so divisive. Our country seems like it's more people are at each other from across the aisle, and there's so much dissension and hatred and vitriol that sometimes any news source, and I'm not not indicting one network over any of them, any news source I look at, I'm like, hmm. I wonder what their motive is behind correct, it. Correct. So if I can just get the information like Walt is talking yeah. about saying, hey, just show me what they voted for, what their beliefs are, right. and I can make my own uh, my own judgment, then I think it's a, I think it could be a home run of an idea. So yeah. good for uh, Walt Powell who's going to start that. And I do love seeing guys who have a plan as a professional athlete of how they're going to transition and, and it sounds like he's crushing it. Man, you yeah. you touched on like your 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 like <laughs> man, right? I I don't regret a whole lot. But not getting started on that process earlier and not really like leveraging kind of that networking ability that you have as a player. Um, I see guys that did it well. Um, and they just have so many more opportunities at their fingertips. Like I really missed, but I'm naturally not a, a go out and, and a gregarious kind of talk to you kind of guy. But man, like if I could have been, that's you strike while the iron's hot. While those people want to be your friends and they want to get to know you, make those connections. My last year in the NFL, I went to this, um, they had like a player postgraduate training program at Wharton School yeah. of Business, one of the top business schools in the country. And so it was a three-day seminar, and they gave you like this little fake degree, like, yeah. hey, I completed this <laughs> this seminar. But the one thing that was almost constant throughout all the speakers, we heard the guy that started and one, yeah. ran one. Yeah. Uh, we heard from him. We heard like um, uh, what, what, um, uh, Hunt. Uh, there was a guy from Utah. He's like a really powerful, like trucking industry okay. guy. I forget. I forget, can't believe I forget his name. Uh, so we had all these really powerful, successful businessmen talk to us, almost all of them said networking who you know the relationships you build right is going to be the key to your success yep. and see, walt's already hit on it he's you know yeah. only 27 years awesome. old so uh good for him you know who probably doesn't need to network very much uh kevin durant but he does <laughs> yeah but he does maybe, maybe. I, you think lot. he does oh dude with the teammates 
Not what not with his teammates, <laughs> but like when he was out in Silicon Valley, did you see all the meetings he was taking with oh, CEOs? He is? He's oh, no, no, no. He is. Yeah. He's, he's really, gonna, hees going for the mogul yeah, status. He's mogulish. And he might already have it. I don't know if he needs it that much, though. Uh, gonna whether have, like, he needs it or not is another conversation. But it he, is. He's done very well with his networking and 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 uh leveraging that stardom he's got. So his new GM, Sean Marks, the Brooklyn Nets GM, appeared on WFAN, and he was talking about Kevin Durant. And he said what Kevin Durant told him why he signed uh-huh. was, quote, I love the system. I love how you guys play. I see how hard you guys play. You were never out of games. We can never take you guys lightly. Uh, <laughs> he kind of has to <laughs> say that, be, doesn't he? I Listen. Right? It all factored into why Kevin Durant. I thought I think they played a role in the decision he made. Turning the culture around there in Brooklyn for Sean Marks and company. I know Trajan was with him a bit. Uh, you know, uh, uh they, they've done a remarkable job in taking a franchise that was strapped on almost all fronts. You're talking about talent front. You're talking about ability to acquire talent with all the draft picks that they had given up. Uh, they were in cap hell. Like Sean Marks and that team have done a remarkable job of positioning themselves um, as a scrappy team that's fun to watch, a fun story, um, all of that. And all of that played a role in Kevin Durant probably wanting to go there. But the biggest reason Kevin Durant wanted to go there was because, A, it was a New York destination. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his company is based yep. in New York. Um, the Knicks are a bit of a mess. And, and, and you know, maybe 1B would be Kyrie. And he was right. able to partner with Kyrie, and Kyrie seemed like he really wanted to go to Brooklyn. And so those were the major factors. And then when you start checking off boxes underneath that, yes, it's a franchise on the rise, team plays hard. Uh I don't know what else Sean Marks could have said, though, but let's be right. real. Right. He didn't pick them out because they were a tough team that got beat in five games by right. Sixers. Yeah, they were 42-40. and 40. Right. Uh, They were six seed in the East. It's not like they're really close to contending. Stop. You could say, hey, I love their effort that they give on the court. Right. I'm worried about Kevin Durant a little bit, um, but I do think he's got a couple things going for him. Mm-hmm. One, he's got the year kind of grace period because he's not going to be on the court. He's going to be rehabbing out Achilles. So right. if they're bad the first year, you know who's going to take a lot of the heat? Oh, uh, yeah, Kyrie. Kyrie. Yeah. Kyrie's <laughs> going to take most of that. The other thing that I think is going to kind of help him, he plays on the lesser covered, lesser name brand team in that city. Because mm-hmm. the Knicks, everybody loves to rip on the Knicks. Everybody loves to rip on Dolan, their owner. And the Nets are kind of like they're the up and comer, they're more right. fun, they don't catch as much vitriol. Um, so maybe he kind of that kind of helps him that people love to bag on the the Knicks and maybe he gets a pass. Ultimately at some point the media at some point, some game, some playoff game, they're going to get bounced and he's not going to have a good game. They're going to go after him. And when I say go after, they're going to write an article that says, "Hey, maybe he can't win on his own." And if he handles it the way he did in Golden State, when he called out Ethan Strauss and he was, you know, he yeah. basically he went after him. I don't know how that's going to end. Well, here's what, yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. They, you know, it's an interesting dynamic when you're a team like Brooklyn, uh, minus KD and and um, Kyrie, and you're you're this cool story. It's all fun and games. You're playing with house money. Everything you do is great, right? You yep. are this young, up and coming, play hard type of team with this good culture. You drop two stars into the mix like that, and you go from being the hunters to the hunted, so to speak. Right now, there are expectations. Um, you're, you're the favorite in people's opinions. Uh, you know, it, to maybe win an Eastern Conference once they're both healthy. Um, and if you don't live up to that, what that then does? Like, what kind of media scrutiny do you wind up getting in a city? Because both of these guys have played in relatively 
docile. Yeah, like, you know, what well, Boston's a little bit of a pressure cooker, and Kyrie didn't like that last year. Right. Now you're jumping into New York, and you were on this Golden State team that were, were you know, a media darling, and you didn't handle that well if you're if you're Kevin Durant. What happens in Brooklyn? I'm just hypothetically, if in, in a year and a half, two years, Kevin Durant's back, and this team isn't doing what most people thought they could do. Like, it has a potential to be, you know, a blow-up type of situation. I, I tend to think that they'll get it together, and I and I think that they need a third Wheel. I, I don't know that it's DeAndre Jordan. Right. I, I think they need another player. When Kevin Durant comes back, you have to assess what percentage of, of Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant now. The old Kevin Durant. You know, is he 85% of that? Is that enough to get us over the hump with Kyrie? Do we need a third player? Uh, and I think Sean Marks and them are good enough to figure that out. I can't wait to see when Kevin Durant comes back what it's going to be like, the dynamic between him and the, him and the media. So we just talked about his issue with uh, Ethan Strauss. Mm-hmm. It goes back to OKC, who's probably one of the softest – most friendly yeah. media markets out there. Yeah. Do you remember when they put Mr. Unreliable on the newspaper and he complained and they actually apologized to him? Yeah. Like the back pages of New York will have a field day if he misses a, a shot in a regular season game. Right. And I'm really curious to see how he responds. A guy who has not handled media criticism very well throughout his entire career. Right. That just doesn't change all of a sudden. And I get to, I, I know you get to a point. He's made a lot of money. He said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to go on the aggressive. But I'm going to go do. on the attack. But you do. But he absolutely yeah. does. And if you're worried about legacy, the New York media can shape your legacy. Right. Because they will, they can bury you or try to. And if you don't play at least a little bit nice and have a little bit of a go back, uh, go between, you'll get crushed every time unless one thing. Unless you win. You gotta win. And you bring a championship, you can treat him like Bill Parcells did. Correct. He treated him like crap, but he won. So they like bowed, bowed down. Yes. And then it was fun, it was fun and friendly. Yep, no doubt. Then it all works. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. We were talking about Netflix shows that we watch. Stranger Things season three is out right now. We were talking about with Coca. He's watched them all. I have like three episodes left in season three. You haven't watched them. Nope. And, uh, I remember hearing about it the first season. It was like, oh, you know, it's, it's kind of a kids based show was what I had heard about it. Uh, you know, cause it's a based on a bunch of kids who are growing up and they have this, you know, it's a sci-fi thing. So right. aliens or the underneath, whatever, whatever, what do you want to call, uh, the issue that they're going through? And I remember watching it being like, holy, this is scary. If right. my kids watched it, my girls would be in the bed with us every single night for like six months with nightmares of these animals. Freaking out. Yeah. So it, it is pretty intense. It's kind of scary. Uh, but it is a pretty entertaining show. Um, just thought we'd throw that in there real quick. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, are in a pretty tough spot. So Ezekiel Elliott, uh, it was rumored, Pro Football Talk had a report out that said in private, it's interesting, how the heck do they know? I guess, right. Apparently they have in sources private. in private, private. So with one, some of his buddies, I guess. Uh, he has hinted that he is thinking about sitting out. We've had Melvin Gordon, other guys uh, considering sitting out, holding out. But the Cowboys are in a unique spot because their offense is built around Dak Prescott as the quarterback, Ezekiel Elliott as the running back in a run-focused attack and the play-action pass around Amari Cooper, who is your deep threat. Right. And since they traded for him, was really a formidable foe in the passing game, made a big difference in Dak Prescott's production, really made a big difference in that offense. I think he's the guy that's getting overlooked in this who-should-we-pay discussion. Sure. Because everybody's like, oh, yeah, you got to pay Ezekiel Elliott. You have to pay Dak Prescott. Oh, just get rid of Amari Cooper. If you could only pick two... Yeah, it would be. Who the, would you go it with? It would be Deke and, and, and it would be it Zeke. Would be Dak and, and Deke and Zach. <laughs> right. It would be Dak and, and Zeke. You would um, stick with them. No, I mean, if I only could pay two, but right. I am with you in that. What do you think? Amar is the one that changed that made that uh, offense dynamic. Right. Um, I just think into like in uh, 
what are you gonna move off of a quarterback? You always talk about that being the 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 the, the most integral position. Absolutely. Like, so you gotta lock up your quarterback. I agree. And for all the naysayers, they may say, I mean, his the, the record and the numbers kind of speak for themselves. When you see what Carson Wentz and those guys just got, like you don't just let Dak Prescott walk. That's no. a homegrown talent that you did yep. got for cheap for a few years. Um, and and you know stole him in the draft, so to speak. And Ezekiel Elliott. He's been the backbone of what you've done. Yep. There are a few running backs in the league, and I know it's an undervalued position, plug and play. Not all of them are plug and play. Like, Ezekiel Elliott's different. Yep. He's like an Adrian Peterson type of back, right? He's like... Ooh. No, 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 but I mean, See like... Him. No, guys, he is. He is guys, one of the best guys, running backs in the yeah, league. Yeah, we're, we're like... They're playmakers. They're threats to go to the house or to carry your team, you know, every game. And he carries that team offensively, man. When he's healthy, he leads the NFL in rushing every year that he's... That he's healthy, right? And when he's not healthy, he leads you in rushing yards per game, even in those injury-shortened seasons or, or suspension-shortened seasons. I, I don't know how you don't lock those two up. Uh, I have a simple question for anybody that is considering paying Ezekiel Elliott, like backing up the truck and giving Todd Gurley money. And by the way, look at the Rams. You think they're regretting that deal? I would say they probably are. Yeah. Paying their running back, who was the same category, top three running back in the NFL. You know they had those little bracelets said, what would Jesus do? Right. WWJD. I would say, what would Belichick do? Do you think there's any chance Bill Belichick is paying a running back that type of money? And this is not an indictment. I think Zeke is great. But his- this to me is more about the position. And I hate it for running backs because they probably should be the highest paid players on the team. Right. Because they take the biggest punishment. Maybe more so than anybody. It's linebackers and running backs because they're always involved in a head-on collision where there's a running start. Right. So they do have this workload. They have this physical toll on their bodies, but they're replaceable. And when I say replaceable, you're not going to find another Zeke. But similar to what the Steelers did with James Conner, who they drafted later, um, he wasn't exactly the same as Le'Veon Bell, but he still gave you pretty good production. They didn't win. That's true. They didn't win. Yeah. That's true. I mean, and the, my let me play devil's advocate for a second. New England's not built to to run. True. Like, do you know what I mean? Their, their staple is that short passing game. They, you know, like you know Brady a few times down the field, the little passes out to the backs, like out in the flats. Like they're not built. Dallas is built as a power football team. Like, right? Yeah. That's what they do. You say it all the time. Absolutely. You can tell if Dallas is going to win or lose by how Ezekiel Elliott goes. Yep. I I don't know that it's as easy to plug and play if you're built to do that as it is if that's just like a compliment to what you do offensively when it's. That's your DNA. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to watch how the Cowboys handle this. Who do they pay? Do they uh, find a way to keep all three of them? That's what Dak wants. I just don't know feasibly with the salary cap. Or their offensive line, which has been one of the best in the NFL, those guys are going to say, hey, we need to get paid too. Like it's it's the salary cap era, and you got to manage it if you want to be a good team. Uh The Open Championship. Uh-huh. Not the British Open. The, yeah, open, the open Championship. championship. Uh, because it is the original. It's it taking snuck place. up on me. Yeah, it's it really great, does. I love it because we get that to the Tiger Woods. He's off tomorrow at 10 a.m. Brooks Kepka. Uh, was talking about practice and he had a very interesting philosophy as far as majors versus regular tour events. I kind of love it. Here's what he said. I just practiced before the majors, regular tournaments. I don't practice when, if you see me on TV, that's when I play golf. <laughs> I mean, that is essentially, that's the Allen Iverson we talk about practice. That is the equivalent in golf. He's saying, I don't care. Yeah. And he's work, it's working for him. He's been one of the most dominant golfers we've seen since Tiger Woods in the majors. And now you're understanding why it's not the same in the regular season. He's like, I don't care. I'm just going to show up when I have to be there. God bless you, bro. 
<laughs> I mean, here, look, I think it's fantastic. If you can do it, um, God bless you. That's not a recipe for success for everybody, though. Right. Like, there's, I was telling Coca in, in our production meeting, it, it, there is a fraction of a percent of people that are as gifted as that in their respective sports, uh, or, or businesses or whatever it is that they do that can get away with just showing up, um, and being, you know, one of the best in the world and then saying, all right, I need to take it to a, another level. So I'll just put in a little bit of work and then I'll win a major. If it works for you, God bless. But that's not a recipe for, <laughs> for your average tour player or even the great, like you think Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, maybe the best player, you know, golfer, definitely of our generation. Right. Um, but his work habits grinder. were at like epic when yeah. you talk about him waking up at 4.30 a.m. And it did change a lot when he had kids because right. like he couldn't put those type of hours in. And Brooks it, has it, it no did kids. Take, no, exactly. But it doesn't even matter if he did. He could be the best dad in the world because he'd have all day to do it. Yeah. I just wonder what guys that think that are ranked 100th in the world – and they're out there. I can't say it on air. I can't say it on air. But it kind of goes to the mystique of, and what's, what Brooks Kepka has is he has an intimidation factor right yeah. now. So I think it gets even more. And I don't even know if he's doing it. Like he doesn't like, even practice. Right. Man. And now he's out there beating uh, him. It puts more pressure on them. So it kind yeah. of raises his mystique even more. So they're looking at him in awe like, man, he can do this without practicing. Like all of it. Is there any chance that that fool doesn't practice? Come on, man. He likes to have a good time. Yeah, I don't know. I think he probably practiced. It's probably not as in. bad as he's saying. Hey, only when I have you know TV. But we again, we don't practice a lot. But you know this. You're on a golf course all the time. You you you've been on golf courses where pros have been around. Yeah, I've seen pros out there. They're typically out there when you go out for your round. They're either on the range or at the or at the short game area or on the putting green. Right. Yep. When you get back three and a half four hours later, they're still out there grinding. Like it's a grind you out sport. I totally agree. There was a, 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 a Michael Collins, a caddy uh, that works for ESPN. Yeah. He had a tweet. Uh, Kepka, I think it was at the Hartford up in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, said Brooks Kepka showed up, went to the range for five minutes, and hit the first tee. <laughs> like that's unbelievable. So I believe him when he says it. <laughs> Tiger Woods sees off at 10 a.m. I'm a little worried about our boy Tiger. He had Should a quote be. that said, "I'm not quite as sharp as I'd like to have it right now. I still need the shape of my golf ball to a little get better." Especially the weather coming in, the winds. I don't like this tiger. I want to see the tiger. Like, if keep those thoughts to yourself, man. Know that. Work. Be, come out there with confidence, like Kepka yeah, is. Go yeah. back to the old school tiger that's out this there. This is Rory's championship to win, man. Northern Ireland, too, man. Uh, Royal Port Rush. It, here, tiger. I said this when it happened. I feel like Tiger's quest had changed. Like it had changed to like getting back to being able to win a major. He did that with the Masters, right? Like he won the the Tour Championship to end last year. I think he just exhaled after that. And I'm worried about him going forward. Like, I really am because I don't think he's, I don't think he has the grind and the passion like he did before. That's just my take on it. Yep. And tomorrow he tees off during our show. So we'll I'm still rooting for him, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, me too. We'll get to post on that tomorrow right here. Canal and Bell.